This soundtrack could be its own 10-part podcast. Like, if you wanted to devote a show, a 10-part show to the Babysitter's Club soundtrack, you know that what? would work. You know what, Phil? What? I don't disagree. We're not going to do that. <laughs> I didn't say we were going to do that because we're busy. <laughs> and what is it that we're busy with right now, podcasting-wise? The reason I bring it up is because you could look at this album and get such a great overview of pop music in 19... Like, th- this album has, like, representation from, like, the L.A. sound, the Athens sound, the Boston sound, the New York sound. It's got this huge um, it's this huge umbrella of people who were coming up people who were on their way out people who were right in the middle of their careers like it was just it's great it's really great and i don't know how long we're going to talk about this but i know it might be longer than a usual episode <laughs> if we don't uh, get a hold of ourselves so let's introduce ourselves up top and then just dig into this let's dig in Hi, and welcome to Pizza Toast, a podcast about Babysitter's Club ephemera, broadly, adaptations at this point. Uh, Maybe eventually we'll talk about merchandise. I'm wearing the boss (laughs) hat right now. That's the most important thing everyone needs to know. And I'm going to wear it from now on whenever we record, no matter what. (laughs) Don't care what I'm doing before or after. And uh, my name is Chrissy Admiral, by the way. And I'm Phil Gonzalez, by the way. Yes, and today we're talking about the soundtrack of the 1995 Babysitter's Club movie, perhaps the strongest aspect of the 1995 Babysitter's Club movie. I was not expecting to be so taken by it, and as soon as it opens with the song Summertime, I was hooked. Okay, so summertime, like, okay, important for me, if you listen to this show extensively, or like even once, you're gonna know that I was born in the late 80s. So I wasn't particularly engaged with the artists on the soundtrack at all, or even really the genres of music. And even now, the soundtrack is my sole exposure to some of the songs. And this is one of them. It's, uh, it's, you were so you were a child. When I was a child, out. and I was a child that listened to the radio a fair deal because I had older siblings, and they uh, kind of passed their taste down. I have a tattoo of the band The Hold Study, a band that my brother told me about. <laughs> so, so you so had that's... kind of a, you had kind of an almost famous uh, childhood where your older sibling introduced you to the world of music. You're not wrong, and that movie really resonated with me when I was a kid because I wanted to be a pop culture journalist, which I sort of am now, like on the nights and weekends, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, getting music taste passed down from my siblings, definitely a a frequent thing that happened in my life. But this song, this song uh, has a fun, like, lowrider hook at the end. And that alone. Yeah, yeah, you're right. It kicks off with that, too. It's just like I was listening to the whole thing today. I don't, I think I was reading an advice column or something during so I could actually take notes and not miss anything. But apparently, mm. I missed that first lowrider hook. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so the the 
a little grounding for our our audience. Um, so this is the this is the is a ten song album. Unless you had the cassette, then you had a nine song album. Because yeah, the what's going on there? The cassette was missing. Uh, X escapes. Let me know the fourth song, uh, which completely disrupts like the sound and also like what should have been a five and five split becomes a five and yeah. four split. That's also, it's an unfortunate omission because to me, that's one of the most interesting songs on here, both as a, an outlier and as uh, like what Escape's legacy has been, which oh we will get into in a few songs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So uh, 10 songs, uh, eight of them are from easily recognizable and easily researchable bands. Uh, the, fa- the last two are from a basically a, a professional songwriter who seems to write for movies and the mystery BSC group, um, <laughs> who we found out some information on. Yeah, no, we did. We both did our research this time, uh, which is uncommon for both of us to do. (laughs) Pretty common for Phil to do it. But yeah, so Summertime is an excellent kickoff song. Yeah, Uh, Moon Pools and Caterpillars. Good name. The band. Uh, Filipino uh, American band. Uh, from California. All the members are Filipino. And uh, so right off, we're starting with a lot of diversity. Yeah, which is interesting. Like the entire soundtrack does jump around, as you're saying, from genre to genre. And it's really representative of what things sounded like in 1995, like exactly what things sounded like. This is, yeah. Yeah, it's a fun, hooky song. Uh-huh. It's uh, 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 impossible to understand the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Something about letting go, maybe, in the chorus. <laughs> the lead singer of of Moonpools and Caterpillars, uh, Kimmy uh, uh, Kimmy Incar- Incarnacion, uh, I, as- I assume is how you say her last name. Uh, she was selected for the group uh, because of her unique vocal stylings. She auditioned for the group in the back of the group's car. <laughs> and uh, oh, there's so many more stories of, like that going 10 or like 15 20 years back than mm-hmm. there are now oh this would never happen today not for not for a band that makes it onto the soundtrack of the babysitter's club movie adaptation but what i love about them is they they were only active for a few years in the 90s and then they disbanded but they got back together in uh 2014 uh at the whiskey a go-go and there's actually like footage of their reunion stuff online and uh you can see kimmy trying to remember the lyrics to summertime yeah we watched that uh and the crowd is into it and you have to imagine that at least a few people there know it because of the soundtrack right there's no way because this is such a nostalgia i don't know i saw the album this is from uh Mm -hmm. and i immediately recognized the cover interesting uh, to to this album um i believe this is lucky dumpling and <laughs> Good name. i saw it and it could simply be because the cover to lucky dumpling is done in the style of like uh like you know you're sort of like ren and stimpy style that sort of retro cartoon style Check um it out. but it's definitely a it's definitely a 
a familiar album cover, so I'm going to assume that somebody in college had it, because this is it during my college life. It does look like it was pulled from a Ren and Stimpy interstitial. Right. Like a it's, log ad or something. That was a very long. popular art style at the time. The sort that of is like true. Yeah. pseudo-retro uh, cartoon style. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Moonpools and Caterpillars. I listened to uh, a bit of the album, and I I, I think they are a, a great, fun party band. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah. So then, yeah, do we, we move on to clouds? Not the clouds, just clouds. They are listed clouds. as the clouds on Discogs, and that threw me so much. It was impossible to find them anywhere else until I realized <laughs> it was just clouds. The song is called Say It, and the note that I made is that this is the kind of song I would have been obsessed with had it come out in even 1997 or 1998, mm-hmm. because it's aggressively hooky. It's very repetitive. It has might say the vibe it is, of, like, yeah. It's yeah. just a hook. Yeah. <laughs> it's, But it's a good hook. Good mm-hmm. hook that they're coming they're coming forward with. It's a... It, it doesn't. It doesn't even evoke Third Eye Blind, but that's the kind of like I would associate Semi Charmed Life with this one because it is the kind of song that I would hear on the radio and be like, I don't know the name of that song, but it's my favorite song. Now I posted that we were covering this album, and I mentioned a bunch of the names on Facebook, uh, some of the mm-hmm. band names, and mm-hmm. uh, and I immediately got a, a hook from a friend uh, from Australia who was like, Wait, are you talking about Clouds from here? And I'm like. <laughs> Yeah, clouds from Sydney, Australia, and yeah, they are a uh, they are a known quantity. Uh, Interesting. Uh, they have four albums, and this song is from I believe Penny Century, their first album. Maybe not. Maybe from a, no Thunderhead. It's from Thunderhead, um, nineteen ninety three release. But they're they're one of those bands that like broke up and then got back together in the two thousands. That's a common theme in this list because mm-hmm. we have others coming up that, or at least other coming up that broke up and got back together and maybe didn't have incredible success with that. But I think they got, there. I think most of these bands that were from the 90s and mm-hmm. broke up got back together when the people who grew up with that music had enough money to support a comeback. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a that's a good point. That's what that's what comebacks are, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so then, do we have anything more to say about clouds? I love that you know a person who loves clouds, or I, at I least th- is, knows of clouds. Who knows of clouds and was excited that we were going to be discussing them? Um, not a whole lot. Just that this song is a is is fast and it's like two minutes long, mm-hmm. and and. It has a, it, I mean, it is definitely a rock song from the 90s. Yes. Oh, very much so. Yeah. And then uh, eases into the call fields. Hannah, I locked you out. I do not understand this inclusion. I suppose as background music, this works just fine. But the lyrics in particular could not have less relevance to the Babysitter's Club. Take a seat beside me, but don't look me. That way you won't have to ask, and I won't have to lie. And you're doing your best not to understand. There's nothing I have you can hold in your hand. And I'm thinking maybe you just shouldn't try. 
it's weird too because I think I may have mentioned it to you. This song, the Caulfields, they're from Delaware, and mm -hmm. they sound like they're trying to be REM. That is, yeah, that is what you pointed out. That is accurate. I couldn't pin it down when I heard it because I was a weird teen shocking to everybody i know like this is the that will blow everyone away that had weird taste in music and automatic for the people uh mm -hmm. was my favorite album for a long time maybe from ages 14 to 16 or something like that and this is a very radio friendly rem song what it sounds like and i think i said this was that it sounds like weird al yankovic's Frank's 2,000-inch TV, which is his <laughs> tribute to R.E.M., in which he his guitarist attempts to replicate the sound of Peter Buck, and mm -hmm. that's what the 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 Caulfields sound like. They're doing it. Sounds like the opening guitar sounds like an attempt for that like sort of jangly Peter Buck guitar sound yeah, yeah. that you hear in this era of REM. The one I associate with like shiny, happy people. The mm -hmm. kind of I'm not gonna try to sing it, but you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yep, that like <laughs> ding 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 ding. Yeah, ding. That, yeah. Exactly. I'm that. gonna try to sing it <laughs> but you you did a better job than i was going to so i appreciate that I, yeah we all know did. that rem it's not the it's not the somber rem of 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 uh, losing my religion it is no the, it's not everybody hurts it's not the it's not the radio songs from uh but don't worry if you're people. missing everybody hurts because we're gonna get to that in a few songs <laughs> And who among us isn't missing? Everybody hurts. I might listen to REM after this. That's and what's where, wild that's is that this. is that the Athens Georgia sound. Uh, the the like this is like because REM got its start in the early eighties. Uh, they really didn't hit the radio until like late eighties, early nineties. Um, like like beyond college radio and. Right. I, I, I wasn't hip enough to music at the time to recognize their influence, but mm -hmm. now I'm listening to some of these some of these groups and I'm like, oh, that was like a, they were really trying to push that sound. Uh, and in a lot of the same way, like the Minneapolis sound, like sort of crept nationwide, but you didn't notice it yeah. unless you were really listening for it. Uh, yeah. No, I'll buy that. Uh, have you been to Athens before? I've Georgia. never been to Athens. Neither it's pretty of them. Neat. <laughs> I haven't been to the the important one, except in this in this discussion, germane to this discussion, I have been to that one. I would say that even not germane to this discussion, it's an important one. I just don't think that a lot of people <laughs> realize how important uh, that sound is to the, like the music that they grew up with. Uh, when I was in Athens, Georgia, I went to a zoo that a friend referred to as the sad little zoo, and it lived up to this description that's my fun fact there was a tiny bear there anyway <laughs> if you want uh i've actually been reading i'm not done with it uh, i've been reading a book uh by grace elizabeth hale called cool town how athens georgia launched alternative music and changed american culture and if you're looking for a great book about the history of of that particular sound i check out cool town it's 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 gets the fill recommendation very good very cool I'm gonna but that's pass the, that's that the on Caulfields. To, yeah, I'm going to pass that on to my UGA graduate friend. Uh, <laughs> okay, so I like I feel like I should be cracking my knuckles or like rubbing my hands together for this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to do that on mic. Uh, escape, let me know.
So the most, to me, the most interesting thing here is, okay, two, two things. This song is so much in the vein of Salt and Peppa and TLC. Mm-hmm. It rules. It's kind of a get for this soundtrack to me. Yeah. And uh, it makes so much sense that it sounds so much like TLC to me. Uh, a person who was listening to a lot more popular music in like 2001 when I think fan mail came out. Because Candy Burris mm-hmm. and uh, Tiny Cottle both have writing credits on No Scrubs. Yeah. To me, one of the two definitive TLC songs, that and Waterfalls, obviously. And Candy Burris is an, a real housewife of Atlanta now. And she won the third season of The Mass Singer. So this is a, this, her career is nuts it's everywhere and she couldn't participate when escape uh reunited because she was on broadway in chicago yes oh uh chicago just uh, this is an aside but i think it's an important one the most stunt casted show oh yeah basically any that ends up traveling and has a huge presence like i know somebody who was the audio engineer for the tour of that and so many stories about Christy Brinkley and Eddie George and all of these people <laughs> who just happened to be in it for like three weeks at one point. It's so funny. But yeah, their uh, their comeback didn't go amazingly, as far as I can tell. Yeah, Escape isn't like a household name, but you've mm-hmm. heard them and you're familiar with the members. I mean, we touched on Candy Burris. Uh, who you know, you've heard her voice, you've seen her in things. She is, if you look at her credits, she's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, like if, if you watched, well, like you said, The Masked Singer, if you watched The Chai, if you watched... Oh yeah, uh, she's a regular on The Chai at one point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you watched Real Housewives of Atlanta, like all of these things she's present on, She her voice is featured e- either as a, as, a, as a lead vocalist or a backup vocalist on mm-hmm. a million things. Mm-hmm. And she's a writer, and she's inc- an incredibly talented uh, like producer, and uh, she she had her own show for like what a, what what an amazing career, and she got her start when she was like fourteen years old. Yeah. Also, this uh, another like I would realize there were songs by En Vogue that I thought were Escape and vice versa while mm. we while I was researching this, and there her voice is very important like both in the background and and for writing and actually like as lead vocal this was the only name i immediately recognized of anybody in the group just because i pay attention to i don't want to call it b-level celebrity gossip but b-level celebrity gossip there's no there's no real nicer way to put it but she is unknown quantity like this is a person who is still actively working and then tiny coddle also a really talented songwriter mm-hmm. uh also notably married to the rapper ti which yep. is something everyone needs to know about her apparently it's very high up on her wikipedia and she's four foot eleven which i liked learning <laughs> uh i mean i mean all the members of the band are are successful in their own right like mm-hmm. outside of outside of their success with escape but i didn't realize that i had I was familiar with Escape from their previous soundtrack appearance from The Mask. Uh, Interesting. And that is a soundtrack I would also be very familiar with. Where are they on there? They sing the song. I'm going to sing it so you guys recognize it. Okay, yeah, yeah. Oh, don't you want to know? Don't you want to know? Oh, who's that man? That was them. That was Escape. Don't you want to know? 
Almost certainly a backing track for a scene involving Cameron Diaz wearing a beautiful mini dress. <laughs> Again, had the soundtrack played it way too often. Uh, had the junior novelization. I will try mm, to find it for you. <laughs> we uh, we didn't we we haven't talked yet about the fact that uh, we both are people who have had our musical tastes transformed. I would dare say by soundtracks. Uh, yes. Soundtracks. And I mean, notably, you asked if we it, like it would be cool if we talked about soundtracks. And I said, mostly just going to talk about the Mystery Men soundtrack in that case. And you also had a connection to the Mystery Men soundtrack, which is notable to me. <laughs> <laughs> what is your connection to the Mystery Men soundtrack? What does it mean to you? I bought it before the movie came out because uh, when I was 11, why does everything just trace back to whichever celebrity I had a crush on at the time? Uh, I was really, really into Ben Stiller. Like, would <laughs> I was hoping be... you were going to say William H. Macy. <laughs> I I think that's like a 25-year-old Christie thing. But yeah, sure. Uh, I, uh, I bought it before the movie came out because of All Star, of course. And then the rest of the soundtrack is just this incredible assembly of artists I had either heard the name of and never heard or artists I had just never heard of. So that has a great Jill Sabuel song <laughs> on it that I love. Uh, they let Kel Mitchell do a rap song on the soundtrack yep. and it's fascinating. I remember it pretty much beat for beat uh, and good stuff, good stuff all around. Weird for 11 year old Christy Lovett. My dad borrowed it from me and never gave it back. That sort of, <laughs> so very, very fond memories of it though. And also the movie, which is not good, but very interesting. Yeah, it's an entertaining flick. Uh, yeah. And as you mentioned, Mystery Men doesn't get the credit it deserves for being the actual all-star movie. Yes, it's it, no, if people think that Shrek is the all-star movie, they are sorely mistaken. Mm -hmm. The all-star video features some of the Mystery Men. Yeah, it yeah. Is, yeah, this is not a... It's not a Shrek song. I mean, it was fair. featured in Shrek, but it was also featured in... There was another movie it was featured prominently in, and I can't remember what it was in. Uh, look for it. But Mystery Men was the first. Yeah. Uh, and I saw Mystery Men on opening day <laughs> at the mall by myself, and this guy comes out before the movie begins, an employee of the mall, I guess, and he's like, <laughs> hey. He didn't say that. Yeah, he was like... <laughs> Okay, we got some giveaways. I got a Mystery Men soundtrack to give away. Uh, I'm just going to need some. And this was not a packed audience. It was like <laughs> one in the afternoon. I waited tables in the evening. I had a free afternoon. Oh, wow. He's like, I got a Mystery Men CD. If you can answer this, this trivia question, who in the Mystery Men plays the shoveler? <laughs> and I was like... I know this. It's William H. Macy. But I shouted out, William Macy. Oh, no. I was like, William Macy. And this other guy in the audience, after I shouted that out, went, William H. Macy. What? And the guy with the CD was like, yeah, the answer is William H. Macy. And he gave it to the other guy. And I never owned the Mystery Men soundtrack. <laughs> it's just, that's my, that's my That is uh, not connection. fair. That's, that is so... 
I, uh, once I interviewed Christopher Buckley, who who wrote The Devil, uh, Thank You for Smoking, and mm-hmm. I said something about how much I love William H. Macy because he's in the movie, I was like, I, I don't have anything articulate to say about them. I, I just love him. And he's like, I'm sure Bill Macy would appreciate you saying you love him and nothing more than that. So that's my, uh, you know, they people call him Bill Macy, okay? But you okay? can't call him that professionally because Bill Macy was the actor from uh, Maud, I think, and... Broadway, Sag. the Broadway yeah. production of O Calcutta. Don't oh. make that mistake. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk about O Calcutta off. Mike. Uh, <laughs> this is the O Calcutta cast. We talk about. Oh dang! Sorry. What was that? Your O Calcutta alarm, alarm for the went wrong off. Wrong time. <laughs> and whenever whenever a uh, a long running Broadway play that features graphic nudity is mentioned on the show, your alarm goes off. <laughs> Steer the conversation away. <laughs> Which you probably should do anyway. Uh. <laughs> but yeah, so soundtracks were really important to me. That's how I discovered like a lot of my favorite like perform. I didn't. I wasn't a music listener. I didn't. I didn't know a lot about music. Uh, so I would discover bands through soundtrack. The first I got my CD player in like junior high for as a Christmas gift, and I got five mm-hmm. CDs the day, on Christmas Day, and they were Oliver and Company soundtrack, good Beetlejuice soundtrack, better. License to Drive soundtrack. Hmm. The Cocktail soundtrack. Ooh. <laughs> and Weird Al Yankovic's Peter and the Wolf. Honestly, uh, pretty good roster right there. They were, and, I, yeah. Yeah, Go soundtrack on. guy. I was a soundtrack guy. No, And they were important to me, too, in the same way, because I, it, for me, the impetus to buy a soundtrack was I really like the lead single from this that is attached to this. Mm-hmm. Let's see what's on the rest of the album, but mostly pay fourteen ninety nine for this one song. That happened with the soundtrack to the movie Go, which uh, led with No Doubts New, mm-hmm. which was from their Return of Saturn period, which, uh, uh, fight me, best period of No <laughs> Doubts music. Uh and everything else on that album was very. Uh, and there's a movie about drugs, right? So it's very, yeah. uh, it's very much fueled by that. But that meant there was a lot of very good music on it, and uh, other songs from people like one-hit wonders who were able to contribute something that was was from their album, but nobody had ever heard. Like there was an eagle-eyed Sherry song on that soundtrack, which really dates it, <laughs> makes it aggressively '99. <laughs> Now, if you want to know how hip I was and how much I had my finger on the pulse of what was cool at the time I got my CD player, oh, no. uh, I got the cocktail soundtrack mm-hmm. because I already had the 45 of Kokomo and really wanted to see what the rest of the songs surrounding that piece of music would be like. What? Wow. What? What be Hawaiian shirted men in Key Largo were listening to oh, when no. they're when they were trying to just get away from their wife for a while. Like that was that was basically what that soundtrack was. Incredible. I mean, good. Very, yeah. very good. Yeah, the, this was so the specific era in which I was buying a lot of soundtracks was very shortly after. 1995 it's like as i'm listing them i'm thinking like oh this is all 97 to 2001 this is Mm -hmm. before i was forming musical tastes and having favorite bands except with the exception of weezer they were my favorite band from like 11 to 15 or so 
Yeah. I've already contradicted myself here, but you know. So did you own this soundtrack? I did not. Um, I saw the movie enough times that I had, uh, well, like we've heard the we've heard the songs now. It is very hard to understand the lyrics for a bunch of them, but I could bop along with a few of them. Yeah. I'm shocked I never invested in a Letters to Cleo album, given this and 10 Things I Hate About You. Well, before we get there, we've got our next track, which I know True. you have some notes on, which is <laughs> Sun 60 with Hold On. Oh, my memory. So, it's a genuinely beautiful song, and I know, and I know that's a, like a, that sounds like a reach, but it really is. For reasons I can't explain, it reminds me of the fictional band that and I really love on season six of Community. I haven't watched season six yet. Oh, um, watch season six is pretty good. Uh, We're we're, we're getting there. We're working our way through five right now. So we're getting there. Like think 10,000 maniacs crossed with Sophie B. Hawkins. (laughs) And that is what this song sounds like to me. And I'm saying that with as like all of the affection in the world. No, I I have nothing but affection for that as someone who who owned Sophie B. Hawkins album uh, in the 90s. Uh, I can't remember what it was called, but I uh, I did own that album. It's probably in my box somewhere over well, here. Well, I know. I mean, again, this is a song I know. Like, or Sophie B. Hawkins, I am familiar with because of Community. Oh, uh, oh really? Yeah, I. I mean, I know that she was on that episode. I was gonna say, is that the Cursed season four? Uh, season, I think. Yeah. That was season yeah. Four. Uh, yeah. Bri- um, Brie Larson playing mm-hmm. Abed's girlfriend. Uh, uh, in her first appearance, they agree that they prefer uh, Damn, I Wish I Was Your Lover to uh, Now I Lay Me Down to Sleep. <laughs> it's As I Lay Me Down. It is from the oh. album Whaler, uh, <laughs> which I did. So I owned Whaler and was obsessed <laughs> with the song As I Lay Me Down. It's a beautiful song uh, that that I listened to repeatedly. Loved it enough that I didn't just buy the CD single. I had to buy the full Whaler album, even though I think I only listened to As I Lay Me Down. <laughs> Do you remember CD singles and how much money you wasted on them? Because I sure do. I know that sometimes they would give you a rare B-side. That That is true. I collected NSYNC's uh, European albums and hmm. would never buy them online or anything, but would just happen upon them in the store. Usually at Best Buy, weirdly, they would just stock like one or two at a time. I'm not proud, but it was a thing that I sought out. So I'm familiar with the concept of like the the cross country or the like uh, the European B side specifically. They might be giants. Uh, their CD singles were always like the song, maybe a remix, and then like three songs you couldn't get anywhere else. Hmm. And so that was always worth like if you found a They Might Be Giants single, you picked it up because it or sometimes it would just, they would release singles of songs that were non-album tracks. Like Why Does the Sunshine was released as a single and it had a few other songs on it. And it basically just an EP Mm-hmm. Um, so it was worth, they were worth checking out. That's how, uh, that's how you found those hidden gems back in the day. I'll, I'll buy that. I'll <laughs> buy that for, uh, usually like between one ninety nine and five ninety nine at the time. 
there was also cuss singles, which uh, were cassette singles, and that was its yep. own animal. Tad, before my time, had a couple uh, cassettes that I inherited from my brothers. One was the Wayne's World soundtrack, tying back to this whole soundtrack thing. Ah, yeah. The Wayne's World soundtrack, that was another big soundtrack from this this rough era, like early 90s. Yeah, it, it, for good reason. Like, I don't think half the people who love Bohemian Rhapsody today would love it if it weren't for Wayne's World. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Anyway, I'm going to yeah. go ahead and make that sweeping generalization. Oh, except for the film Bohemian Rhapsody. I'm sure that rose like a well, now, yeah. No. Also, uh, I've heard it's a bad movie. Not seen it. Um, Do not. Yeah. Yeah. Not, okay. Not, <laughs> okay. Not interested. Um, <laughs> oh, and then we, uh, we move from something. But wait, what, what was your, uh, yeah, what was your big thing about uh, Sun 60? No, it was about and I hope you. I was hoping you would get oh, excited about oh, it. Oh, I but... see. No, not yet. You, you check back with me in a few months. Once. Oh yeah, it took me ages to get through season six. Maybe a couple of years. You're fine. <laughs> um, but I do want to say about Sun Sixty. Uh, yeah. I think it's the uh, the kind of the the secret MVP of the album. I would agree. I um, would. Uh, I yeah. Like without reservation, I would agree. Um, it's, it's got a beautiful beginning, a very sweet beginning, um, and then it like sort of fades, and then it comes back as like a harder, more driving song. Mm-hmm. But what I found really interesting about Sun 60 is that it's two, um, David Russo and Joan Jones, who were like the band, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Russo went on to be a, a, a film score writer and television score writer, and he did like every episode, I think, like, he did like the theme song to Gotham and he scored the TV series Pennyworth. Um, Interesting. And then Joan Jones has like quite a solo career. Like she's still performing solo. Uh, you can find her at clubjoan.com. That doesn't uh, surprise me at all that she has continued to because she has a really lovely voice. And I was going to say she has that 90s voice. She does. That's a, And I think that's where me thinking of like, Sophie B. Hawkins is coming from because the strength of an artist like that is there is like a sweetness, but a Mm -hmm. little bit of roughness under the surface. And it's so good. It's this song is good. Go seek it out. Look, go Google Sun 60. Mm -hmm. And maybe this is the first thing that will come up. There's a there's a, a, a quality, a lilting quality of the lead female vocalist of many of these bands, these sort of one hit wonder bands or mm-hmm. like bands that had like, oh, I recognize that album cover thinking like yeah. Lemonheads, things like that. And right, uh, right. It's sort of this like it's not twee. It's not it's not babyish, but it's very high and mm-hmm. and almost almost chirpy, but not unpleasant. Like I don't know. I was a sucker for it in the '90s. Like I fell in love with every lead singer of every band. Of course, yeah. No, as one does. Like I, yeah. It's a very era specific thing, though. Mm-hmm. It's not something. Even as you're hitting the later '90s, starting to come away from that, mm-hmm. and especially into the 2000s when pop uh, like uh, like bubblegum pop is on the rise you would never hear something like that no uh and i think it kind of fell apart a lot with jewel i think jewel may have been kind of the first nail in the coffin because yeah. she kind of took that and cranked it up like where lisa loeb did it 
to like it's almost parody perfection like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, because she was like you know well versed in like children's music yeah i was gonna then. say her like especially now she has returned to the children's music roots, yeah which i love about her <laughs> but uh but like jewel took it and kind of went too far like yes. she put on the like sad little baby voice too much and we were like <sighs> you were done meant for it, me is just definitive sad little baby voice <laughs> Wow. That's all I'm going to be thinking about for the rest of the day. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was trying to figure out which song I would prefer to have stuck in my head, and it's definitely not that. I'll I'll keep thinking about Lisa Loeb for a while. Well, speaking of sad little babies, our next song, (laughs) Matthew Sweet, Everything Changes. This is the, I have my meanest notes on this one, so. (laughs) First of all, thoughts on Matthew Sweet. Anything? Mm, Not really. I have very little familiarity with him outside of this. Was getting him confused with Matthew Goodband, which is very different. (laughs) Very, very different. So this is the only Matthew Sweet song I can recognize, and it is only because of this soundtrack. He is a singer who I always assume I know on one of, I don't, Matthew Sweet has been around for so long and mm-hmm. his name was always out there. And then I went looking and I was like, I don't know Matthew Sweet. His whole deal was that he like moved to Athens to learn from the masters of the Athens sound. He got in good with uh, Michael's. He put out a, he put out a single with Michael Stipe. Like they collaborated, they formed a band. Uh That's- he, Wow, that's it. Feels very above his station. Everything I'm going to say in the next few minutes is mean. Sorry. If you if you Google community, they're called community trolls. Oh, uh, if you wow. Google them, you can find their one like their one. I think one release that they did uh, on YouTube, and it's good. Like it's a good. It's a it's a little bop. He also collaborated with Linda Stipe, uh, Michael Stipe's sister, who was also hmm. a. A, a presence in the in the Athens Georgia scene at the time. Uh, he, he did some work with her, but then he just disappeared. He blanked off to New York, and uh, <laughs> Michael Stipe was like, "I don't I don't have any hard feelings against Matthew Sweet. He he did what he did." <laughs> and I'm like, I think he may have hard feelings against because people were like, "Oh, he kind of like sort of used." the popularity of a bunch of groups to sort of build his own name. And then he was mm-hmm. like, off to New York to to be better than you suckers. And to be fair, that's exactly what I did when I moved to New York in my yep. early twenties. So does Michael so, Stipe forgive you? Probably not. And I don't think he ever will. Uh, <laughs> so I think this song is aggressively average. I think it's very generic. And I think it works well as bummer background music if you don't listen to it too closely. Also, it is too long. The next couple songs pass like it's 30 seconds and you're like, oh, I need to go back to that. Uh, I just have no attention span for sad music uh, that has like nothing else to offer that's really remarkable about it. And it's Everybody Hurts. It is. It is. And Everything Changes is such like a, a boring refrain and... The thing about Everybody Hurts is that if you look at the lyrics, if you read the lyrics, they are not profound. They are very, very simple. 
But that's what makes that song great because of uh, what Stipe is able to put into them. Mm-hmm. This song doesn't, like, his vocal quality is not good enough for me to be like, yeah, this this matters. This means something. But but if you, it, it, it definitely is him trying to do everybody. Like, it's mm-hmm. definitely him trying to do Automatic for the People. It's, yeah. So we have two not R.E.M. songs right in this album. And I would say they're probably two of the weaker songs on the album. I would agree with that. Uh, Oh, I mean, we're coming up on the one that I like least, but it is definitely contextual. It's in a couple from now because I like both Ben Lee and Letters to Cleo. So it's fine. Which is like a, to me, that's a good one-two punch. Like the Ben Lee song is fun and short and and it's a bop. So Mike, um, I almost said Michael Stipe. Uh, Matthew Sweet, not yeah. Michael Stipe, uh, appeared in 1995 <laughs> on another uh, album called uh, Saturday Morning. It was a collection of cartoon covers done by musicians of the day. Uh, I had it. I loved it. Uh, and Matthew Sweet covered Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? As I <laughs> said on social media earlier today, he changed If We Can Count On You, Scooby-Doo, to If Sweet Can Count On You, Scooby-Doo, thus making it a more personal song for him. Um, I don't like it. But have you, heard, have you heard the Saturday Morning album? I have not, and it oh. sounds like something that I would really love. It features such uh, such performers as Liz Fair and Material Issue, uh, Mary Lou Lord and Seismonic, Juliana Hatfield and Tanya Donnelly, Collective Soul, Butthole Surfers, Helmet, The Ramones, Reverend Horton Heat, Frente, The Violent Femmes, uh, Tripping Daisy, Sublime, The Murmurs, and what? Wax. It's got quite a lineup of that people is a singing grab bag of <laughs> if you want to hear the violent femmes sing eep op orc ah ah means i love you from the jetsons or reverend horton heat performing the johnny quest theme along with the dastardly and mudley in their flying machines theme on guitar it's the album for you i'm I might listen to this later. I will. I will trade it, it for this recommendation. Recommendation. I will trade you the recommendation of the Powerpuff Girls soundtrack, Ooh. which was not music from the show except the theme song and the outro song. It was songs inspired by the show, and it's like the Apples in Stereo and a bunch wow. of weird like late '90s bands that were had commercial success but are not like radio bands. I'll I'll send a track listing to you later. It's very good. The uh, the '90s were the era of albums like that weird yes. this saturday morning album the powerpuff girls album these albums of it's like rhino records they've gotten a bunch of indie label artists who are looking to get their name out there to perform covers or weird takeoffs <laughs> and you're a kid or a college guy and you're like I don't understand the music scene, but I sure do like the Powerpuff Girls. And then next thing you know, you're listening to Apples and Stereo. <laughs> it's it's not a bad it's not a bad thing. I was really into the compilation disc for a long time, and that that like extended beyond soundtracks. But mm-hmm. soundtracks are kind of the the most fertile ground for that, particularly in this era. Yeah, there was also a, uh, a Schoolhouse Rock Rocks, which was bands of the era mm. covering Schoolhouse Rock songs. That was another big one. But all these tribute albums, If I Were a Carpenter was another big one that had a bunch of uh, a bunch of famous bands performing Carpenter songs. Like, the 90s were fertile ground, man. You don't get that anymore. Yeah. I feel like the closest equivalent, uh, and this is early 2000, so it doesn't really count, 
uh, is the Punk Goes Blank series, yeah. which I adore. There's a punk like Punk Goes Pop multi volumes of like just you know uh, what's a good example? Newfound Glory also made a career of this the from mm-hmm. the screen to your stereo albums, and those were just them doing like My Heart Will Go On and Stay, I Missed You and that sort of thing. But uh, Punk Goes Pop, like I th- I always think of the starting lines version of I'm Real by J Lo and Ja Rule and. Oh, that's the that is one of the the more two thousand four sentences a person can possibly say out loud. I was you made me realize that like there's the maybe this Christmas series, which is two thousands artists yes. doing Christmas songs with just the most. If you really want to get knee deep in what was popular in two thousand six, it's uh, the maybe this Christmas, maybe this Christmas two, and maybe this Christmas tree uh, <laughs> series of albums. And this is the kind of thing that sparks like late, not later in life, because I'm still in my early 30s. But this is like this sparks like college nostalgia for me, Mm. like the kind of thing you stumble upon when you're downloading whatever. And then you you fall into a rabbit hole. You seek out the album. You eventually have to buy a physical copy. Yeah. Oh, I miss the days. See, I had Uh, had a. I had a friend who lived on my on my floor in college, uh, my friend Dave, and he was a musician and he was the guy he was the guy who arrived to school with a wall of CDs mm. that he would like carefully put up all of his CDs. He had like every <laughs> Zappa CD. He had just the most nice. like if you wanted it, he may have he may have it in his room. And so he was the only person he was my only touchstone for like getting into music uh, because my other friends who were into music were into stuff that was way too eclectic. Like, yeah. Like, I want to listen to this because it is borderline unlistenable eclectic. (laughs) I didn't listen to the Beatles before college, and one of my best friends uh, told me about them, basically. (laughs) You ever hear of a Beatles? (laughs) I had never heard of such a... No, that was one of the the greatest gifts she could have given me. I think she's well aware of that, but I don't think she's done enough backpats lately, so I'll let her know today. Aw. Yeah, that's right. I still talk to my college best friend. What are you guys doing with your lives? <laughs> hey, I wonder if Dave's going to listen to this episode because... Uh, he probably will. He probably will if, if we're going to be talking about uh, our next our next performer, <laughs> Ben Lee. Grandpa what? Grandpa Wood. <laughs> it's, not, so, it's not what he's singing on this. Would you resent me? already know and now everyone else can uh ben lee was a member of a super group of men named ben like singer songwriters uh bet it was ben lee ben folds and ben queller and they put out a pretty good ep which is not surprising because they are all individually talented musicians and their styles mesh very well um my what favorite was the song super the group called? Is, what was the supergroup called? Oh, the Benz. The Benz is the name of the group. The yes, that's the most important feature <laughs> of the group. It's basically the Flight of the Concords joke where they talk about how they're a supergroup and the old band names were the Brett and the Jermaine and the no one else. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, 
yeah, this is a good song. This is a bop. Tell me, tell me more about Ben Lee and how you feel about this. Uh, well, my exposure to Ben Lee was again through the Benz. Uh, yeah, I actually picked up a copy of the Benz album from the library. Uh, oh, I miss getting CDs out of the library. <laughs> I would go to the library on my break at work uh, because the library was literally five minute walk from my desk. And mm-hmm. I would just walk to the library and flip to the CDs and grab a CD. And they had the Benz. And I looked in the back and I was like, is this Ben Folds on it? All right. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you can tell by looking at me, but <laughs> I have listened to a Ben Folds song or two in my life. And uh, I mean, and- hard same. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, if you're looking for really upbeat but surprisingly angry music, uh, Ben Folds is always the way to go. <laughs> but yeah. but because yeah. of that, I was like, oh, this Ben Lee guy is, I really like his stuff too. And I think that's where I first listened to Grandpa Wood because uh, they mm-hmm. had that album as well, like nestled in among the other stuff. And that's his first, that's his first album. Yeah. Um, uh, and it, and, and I believe this song, uh, don't leave, which is, uh, about a man, uh, imploring someone to not leave, <laughs> uh, is, is on this album. Is it? Yes. It's song number five. And again, a two minutes and it's done Yeah, in and out. This is a, I mean, this is what I crave in music. Uh, it used to be my karaoke standard used to be 230 and under that has obviously changed over the time i i will do bruce springsteen's jungle and next time i do karaoke and just sit down during the sax solo if i get the chance <laughs> but yeah this is a this is a great song like this is, is very snappy uh his his voice is really pleasant to listen to i believe he's is he australian yeah he's oh, australian yes. he used to be married to claire danes is that correct or is that ben queller <laughs> Did he used to be married to Claire? Yes, he dated Claire Danes. He mm. married Ioni Sky what in a, a Hindu what? wedding ceremony in India. They have one sure. child. Oh, that's a, that sounds nice for them. <laughs> yeah, is she them. Hindu? Probably I not. I didn't. Th- <laughs> I didn't think she was Hindu. No, no, she's Jewish. Maybe like that a so little is less. Ben Lee. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, wish him all the best. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I don't, I don't love that. Um, good, good song. Uh, I glad, I'm really glad our exposure was the Benz, like, cause I, I have been listening to, or I'm really stammering over how much I love Ben Foles. This is how you can tell that I love him Mm -hmm. so much. Rather, I love his music because he's a very complicated figure. Uh, That's a way of putting it. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe some of his songs from earlier are problematic, we could say. (laughs) But But are they problematic or are they ironically problematic? (laughs) (laughs) It's a combination of the two, I really do think. But yeah. I, I I have, I respect Ben Folds for the fact that he freely acknowledges he is a problematic person and mm-hmm. that he yeah. is not easy to like and that he is not easy to be in a relationship with, apparently. No, he marries a lot of women. He uh, does. <laughs> he marries them uh, suspiciously soon after divorcing the previous woman. <laughs> I love his music. I love basically everything that he has ever released, even the albums that are kind of ignored by other people. Like... The unauthorized biography of Reinhold Messner mm-hmm. was my favorite for a long time. What I respect about Ben Folds and uh, is that he took one of his greatest songs at the time, which was Rock in the Suburbs. Mm-hmm. He rewrote the entire song for the movie Over the Hedge. Yes, he did. And he actually rewrote it into an 
equally awesome song. <laughs> Over the Hedge is one of the surprising, like one of the most surprisingly great movies I saw at that time of history. <laughs> I wrote a paper about it because I was in college at the time. Uh, one of the strangest, because Over the Hedge was a newspaper comic strip. And then the movie came out and had nothing to do with it except that it had a few animals in it. It's about the environment. <laughs> And the, the suburbs and rocking said it's suburbs. It's about the environment. Oh, uh, good, good. Ben Folds tangent. Leave all of it in. Very important. Thoughts on Ben Queller? Uh, almost none. Uh, I can't really recall anything he did. Like, I assume because of the tenor of the Ben's album, I assume he's also kind of a bummer, dude. <laughs> you think? How do you spell his last name? K W E L L E R. Certainly looks like a bummer, dude. He does look like a bummer dude, but no, I mean he's got a soft he's got a soft face. He does. He's his Wikipedia photo is outstanding. It, it really is. It really. It looks like if uh his Wikipedia fo- imagine if uh if uh, uh Ron Weasley <laughs> was really trying to impress a girl by playing guitar on stage and that is what Van Queller's photo looks like. <laughs> Yeah, I I remember Shasha coming out, but I don't remember anything else about his music. Uh, uh, Circling back to our earlier conversation, Queller made his acting debut in William H. Macy's movie, Rudderless. It all comes back around. (laughs) It does. I can't figure out who he's married to. Oh, there we go. He married his girlfriend, Liz Smith. Uh, uh, But that's that's Ben Lee. Solid song. uh, A fun little bop. Uh, moving on to Letters to Cleo. Letters to Cleo covers I Want You to Want Me by Cheap Trick for uh, maybe it wasn't originally for 10 Things I Hate About You. I'm pretty sure it was, Mm -hmm. but it closes the movie and it is so triumphant and so good. And there's another movie with an amazing soundtrack that is like a sampling of what the world sounded like at that point. But they're so, so good. So, of course, this song is so, so good. Does... Letters to Cleo capture that 90s sound perfectly? I think so. Yeah. I love her voice. Like, mm-hmm. I love this. Um, I love how it is hooky without being aggressive. Like, I don't feel like all it has is a hook. Yeah. It's just a really fun song, and it fits. Uh, it is almost too good for this soundtrack, if I'm being honest. Letters to Cleo is, like, is... The kind of band who will 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 cover uh, Cheap Trick, will cover the song Cruel to be Kind, which is an amazing song in the first place, uh, mm-hmm. and do it with a plum, but also open for Cheap Trick and then also record songs for cartoons and then <laughs> appear as themselves on the last episode of the sixth season of Parks and Rec. So it's not just... That they def- like they uh, kind of define the '90s sound, not define, but like mm. their definitive, whatever. 
sure, they define it. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, it is that they also fully embraced all the trends of the era and yes. they are aware of their place and culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever somebody was on Parks and Rec, you could tell that they were very self-aware in a really refreshing way. Yes. Like, and like I think... There are a few instances of that that I absolutely love. Jeff Tweedy playing a musician who has like a fractured relationship with his band. It's just really, really good. But, but the letters to Cleo one is much more pleasant. And it's like a callback to when one of the characters is in a depressive spiral. He wears a letters to Cleo shirt. Yep. And I, and I like that they have enough of sense of humor and sense of self that they can do something like that. So Kay Hanley, the that's her name, the yeah. vocalist from Letters to mm-hmm. Cleo, uh, I think is the one who has like the best sense of her place in popular culture. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, she and my favorite thing that she ever did in her career on uh, and bringing it back to the Babysitters Club mm-hmm. on Thanksgiving Day, <laughs> two thousand seven. <laughs> She sang the song Caring Changes the World in the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on the Care Bears float. Aww. So uh, it all comes, it always comes. She, Letters to Cleo, yes. 10 Things I Hate About You, yes. Uh, performing in movies, yes. But also, also composing songs for Doc McStuffins. Uh, <laughs> composing songs for DC Superhero Girls, for Harvey Girls Forever, uh, performing songs for the Care Bears, Oopsie Does It, Care Bears to the Rescue, singing the theme song to My Friends Tigger and Pooh. Like, she has that kind of voice. Yeah. Oh, and also, of course, the singing voice of Rachel Lee Cook in Josie and the Pussycats. Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, Bringing it all back to the Babysitter's Club. <laughs> One of the still one of the most important movies to me, not like a like I think it's culturally very important uh, just because it flopped and is one of those things where people are like, actually, this was prescient and wonderful and uh, radically underrated. There are a few comedies that come to mind when I say that, but the music is the best part of that Mm. movie. Even like even considering all of the the like clever writing and some of the very fun performances, like the villain performances in particular, the music written by uh, I'm forgetting his last name, Adam Adam Schlesinger. Adam Schlesinger, yeah. Uh, I mean, his entire catalog was incredible, but that that soundtrack is just so wonderful. And, and choosing a lead singer who encapsulates the sound of bubblegum pop. Yeah, it, she. they couldn't have chosen somebody better to provide that vocal. And uh, it doesn't bother me that Rachel Lee Cook doesn't do the singing for it, because I think they just... Uh, but but the girl, like she and Tara Reid and Rosario Dawson did all do the backing vocals, which is yeah. very fun. Yeah. I remember that that movie got a lot of heat when it came out because of all the product placement it had in it. And people would criticize it for that, not realizing that that was the joke. That's the, that's it the point of the movie. It wouldn't have worked without the product placement. And of course, none of the product placement was paid for. Like they, they yeah. was an actual product placement. Uh, but I think, yeah, it was ahead of its time. People did, people weren't ready for that level of irony in a major motion picture yet. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, yeah. one of the best things I've done since moving to New York was attend a Josie and the Pussycats sing along in 2013 <laughs> or 2014 maybe 2015, at which I met a couple of my closest friends uh, and 
uh, was able to sing along the entire time, <laughs> as was the rest of the room. Just a like a good time was had by all. But yeah, didn't, didn't Adam Duritz have something to do with that soundtrack as well? I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, I, I remember being like, "Hold on, I want to see. Am I am I getting this wrong?" Yes, uh, Adam Duritz of the Counting Crows uh, wrote uh, some of the music for it as well. So. Uh, if you if you ever wonder what else he was doing at that time in his career, he was <laughs> writing for Josie and the Pussycats. Like I associate letters to Cleo primarily with more upbeat songs, but mm-hmm. there is a ballad on the Josie and the Pussycats album that's really good, mm-hmm. uh, and she uh, gives it a kind of sorrow uh, that I'm not saying that I wouldn't find her capable of, but it is unexpected for Kate Hanley, and it's, yeah. it's really good. Uh, yeah, letters to so. We're saying to this point, Sun 60 and Letters to Cleo's contributions are our favorites, correct? Uh, perhaps, yes. Perhaps. Yes. Maybe. Oh, I, do, I don't want to leave out Daddy's Girl by Lisa Harlow Evans. To not go gentle into that good night, my daddy said as he turned off the light in the early I don't, in a vacuum, I would not dislike this song. Mm-hmm. In the movie, I believe this is the one that's supposed to make me cry. Yes. And it does not work for me <laughs> because the movie do- isn't working for me at that point. So all I'm hearing is this very weepy song about, oh, it's very sad that uh, Christie's father is a monster and a bad dad, reporter dad, but... It doesn't quite ring true for me. So Lisa Harlow Stark uh, wrote and performed Daddy's Girl. And she's a songwriter who seems to write songs for movies. Yes. Uh, Like her her bio on lisaharlowstark.com is like she wrote and performed uh, for Robert De Niro's Tribeca series, uh, for Babysitter's Club, uh, for Disney's Freaky Friday, uh, for uh, Toothless on ABC, Devil's Arisen. Like she does, she writes music and occasionally sings these songs, mm-hmm. uh, but she didn't put out a an album until like much later in her career. Yeah, pretty recently, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's really interesting like do you think the song is on the album uh well it's definitely on spotify uh yes it is on the album i just can't get on board with it i'm sorry i i feel it's like a, a pretty monster. song it's mm-hmm. um obviously it's a song about a about a girl with a complicated relationship with her father yeah and i think uh, like <laughs> Yeah, I feel like a jerk thinking that it's not good, but again, it's it's not on her. It's on the movie at this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, it's a bit on the nose. It's very on the nose. The second the like big sweeping daddy's girl vocal comes in, I just can't, I can't track with it because also it's talking about like oh we used to be so close and there was never a point at which she and Patrick were close, so that's kind of a stretch for me. But well. Uh... Uh, one of the comments on on YouTube, and I know that we don't like to dip into comments, oh, but, but uh, I needed to <laughs> for this one. This movie is so sad. Her dad left her as a kid, came back, and then left her again without saying anything. What kind of sick person? 
then they stop. Like, I just love that the sentence is, what kind of sick person? They made it seem like just a normal part of her summer to forgive him. How hard is it to show up to his daughter's birthday for two hours after he swore that he would when she told him he didn't care about her and that she thought he'd never keep his promise, and then he said he would. He ditched her on her birthday, and she went, and he never showed up, and she had to walk home in the pouring rain. What's the point of that song, Daddy's Girl? What good does it say? That was me reading the dramatic monologue of a comment from a person who it was more upset about this movie than we were. That's your monologue next time you audition for something, which I yes. think you're going to have to do now. It's a good, like, that comment was the first one I read because mm-hmm. I think it's pretty high up on the page. Uh, just because, and like, I saw the length of it and was like, oh, I got to settle in for this one. Everything, everything this uh, this viewer says is correct. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> it is not a great. It, it does not uh, work particularly well with the movie because of the message the movie conveys, and yeah. I think they they put it better than I could. Certainly, it's mostly a bunch of comments about Daddy's Girl. There's a lot of comments about Daddy's Girl. I noticed that. I can't and. Uh, there's probably one or two people talking about how girl girlfriend is great or they know the words to it mm-hmm. which is not an accomplishment and not not one i would be proud of <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I, I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna say anything negative about daddy's girl um it's nicely sung. It's yeah. Uh, oh, it's a pretty song. That's yeah. the thing. Like anything negative I'm saying about it is not a reflection on the song itself. I think if uh, I had gotten this album when I was a little kid, like say I was like 11 and really liked this mm-hmm. movie, and I I would I would fast forward. Yeah, I would Daddy's skip this Girl. one. I would sure. be like and fast forward. So, but to be fair, when I was a little kid, I probably would have fast forwarded through a lot of these songs. <laughs> You're just like, getting stuck on uh, the letters to Cleo one over and over <laughs> again, and that's okay. Someone okay. on the comments used to steal this album from their sister to listen to the uh, Sun 60 song over and over again. Oh, so, I hope that go. person's having a good day. <laughs> well, we're up to our final track on the Babysitter's Club. Uh, and what and what is this final track? Well, that's a great question, <laughs> because I'm not sure. No, the, the final track is actually the one that opens the movie. Yeah. And it is the song "Girl Girlfriend" by Lisa. Uh, it's sung by Lisa Donovan Lucas, but I believe she is credited as something else. Am I right? Yeah, Lisa O'Donovan. Yeah, and it also says the BSC. Listen, people everywhere, oh na na na, hey, get together if you care, hey na na na, ho. we got something something good, oh na na na, hey. I gotta say, when I was listening to it, even when there are like people talking over the end of it, which is a very soundtracky song thing, didn't sound that much like the girls in the movie. Uh, the only note I have here is the rap break makes me want to take to the sea. <laughs> so this song has a rap break it does it does does it i think it does (laughs) i think i said this song sounds like it was written by very evil men in a boardroom or in a smoky room like it seems like it was written by a a despotic supercomputer attempting to win (laughs) over the minds of preteen girls like It's the kind of, like, it just screams louder than the song itself. It screams, you like this, right? 
This is what you wanted. This is a fun movie for girls. We're all having fun. It's a fun girl movie. Especially after you've listened to, in a full album, nine songs of legitimate pop. Singer, songwriter, yes. rock, pop. And then you get to the final song on this album. And it is this mechanical nonsense. <laughs> it's a real downbeat. And I under, like, I'm okay with them not opening with it. And yes. I- I, I wonder if this was a strategic decision on behalf of the the record label where they're like, well, all the good stuff should come before that theme song. So maybe somebody will listen to the good stuff before they have to hear that. So it was written by David Michael. Um, but not David Michael Thomas. But not David Michael Thomas. David <laughs> Michael Frank, uh, who I believe we noticed his name or something. Yeah, we, we did. First, because yeah. uh, <laughs> because David David Michael. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's a he's a a composer. Um, mm-hmm. He's composed uh, uh, over two hundred episodes of television series, from Columbo up to today. Like he's still working. Um, he he's composed stuff for movies. A very experienced man. Mm-hmm. And then it's sung by like as we said, Lisa O'Donovan, Lisa Donovan Lucas, who does she has a lot of credits for music preparation, and I don't know what that means. I was trying to figure it out because like I understand what a copyist is and I understand mm-hmm. I I don't even understand what I'm a proofreader by trade or I have been in the past never proofread music because I can't read music anymore I could at one point I just like I don't really know what that means are you listening to a demo and then making sure this the uh, score matches up with that I have no idea yeah uh music prep like it's not orchestration because she no. did orchestrations she uh she orchestrated the the music for the pebble and the penguin uh, interesting she so she did well that's that's uh that's the one um well, so she, I, I, because of the caliber of some of the movies she did it for mm-hmm. uh i because like a lot of them are john williams scored movies did you notice that it was like a jurassic park the harry potter movies that's elmo of and grouchland yeah 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 elmo and grouchland uh brewster smellions <laughs> no this is a really long list that's alphabetical yeah. et the extraterrestrial after the list of very important movies i would say like very yes. well-known movies but I'm wondering if this is some kind of role that is just not like a, like almost like an assistant, like somebody who keeps track Mm. of, are we doing this correctly? I'm going to, I'm going to look into it afterward just because I'm really curious about this. Like I'm seeing the credit pop up everywhere, but not any like actual descriptions of it. So yeah, if you could look that up or anyone listening (laughs) knows what music preparation is, uh, like what goes into it, how it differs from an arranger or an orchestrator, or maybe it's just kind of a little bit of everything. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and I feel like I should have at least seen this title before, given that I used to uh, copy edit playbills and read all of the positions in uh, like a yeah. musical arrangement. But I'll figure it Yeah, I'm going to try to figure it out. If you're listening to this, your job is to figure it out. And as a, as a reward, I will uh, take a picture of my hat again. She did the music prep. Her her last credit is Lilo and Stitch in 2002. She was probably not singing this song anymore. That's my and guess. Do you think she has been singing this song since she recorded it? <laughs> like, do you think that she would like bust this bust out girl girlfriend? 
This is like, like it's what happens at a party, uh, like when it's winding down, and she's one of the last people there, and she's kind of like run out of stories to tell about like the more glamorous parts of her career, and then she wants to sing this song and see if anyone knows it, and that's what drives people away from the party. And people would say, "Stop singing the girl girlfriend <laughs> song because we want you to sing your biggest hit, the log song from Ren and Stimpy." That's an incredible accomplishment. That's uh, like. If I had done that, all of my social media handles would relate to it. Yeah. I would have a website that just said Christy Admiral is the woman behind the log song. That's a, such a good... Oh, oh. I don't know. You probably at this point wanted to distance yourself from John Crick Falusi as much as possible. So. <laughs> That's your entire... Wipe those Ren and Stimpy credits off your, uh, off your homepage. <laughs> No, but like, what a career. Like, this is that thing where there's these people who have these incredible careers uh, who they aren't household names, but dang if they aren't just working it. Yeah, totally and totally invisible to anybody who's like watching the movie or listening to the score for something like E.T. Like, you're not thinking about the person who was like painstaking. And her husband, Ron Lucas, art director uh, for uh, Spirit, Stalin of the Cimarron, Hmm. Shark Tale. Surfs up Hotel Transylvania, so she's oh, got a husband. That one's who actually works- a big deal. Like, I mean, all of them are. Surfs up got nominated for an Oscar, I um, believe. <laughs> visual development artist for Over the Hedge. It all comes back around. There's so much uh- six degrees of separation <laughs> in this episode, like on its own. It's almost as if Hollywood is actually a remarkably small community. <laughs> I haven't not been thinking about that a lot lately. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, with that, with with, and it's credited, of course, to just BSC. And and uh, it's not a good song. Uh, No, it's the one that's just like girlfriend. (laughs) (laughs) I I get why they wanted something like this with the hey na 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 hey over Mm -hmm. the opening credits. Uh, There are better routes they could have taken. Right, because not only does this sound like. A preteen music written by a robot. It also has a weird, like Lady Smith back Mombazo thing going on. It's like, and you're like, wait, what? Wait, I'm trying. I tried not to listen to it even when I was listening to the soundtrack. I was like, what if I just skip this one? I get the general gist of it. It's fine. What is the song? Because what it reminds me of is, uh, what is the song? Is it? Uh, it's featured. You're talking about diamonds of... on the sole of her shoes. No, it's the one that goes uh, <laughs> on my way. Oh, my uh, way. send me on my way. By, yes. Uh, um, uh, rusted rusted root. root. Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's what it reminds me of. It's got the like. Home, 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 yeah. Way. Yeah, but like not it's wrong. not it's not Graceland. It's not like a I was group gonna of... say. I like that I cited something that actually involves ladies with black Mombasa. <laughs> But it's that thing where, like, this is kind of a thing in children's movie music. <laughs> like, yeah. I uh, sorry, I just like had this horrible uh, memory of Rusted Root covering a song that's way above their station, and I'm gonna find it for you uh, <laughs> when we wrap up here. It's really important. The reason that Rusted Root pops into my mind is because "Send Me on My Way" was featured in the Matilda. major motion picture Matilda. Yeah. Yeah. And from around the same time. So, uh, yeah, also in Ice Age. It's know. in a lot of things. But yeah. Matilda is the most memorable usage for me. Right, right. Ugh. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> I listened oh, look, to it right in an embarrassing amount. In, the, in January 2014, in a review for Cruel Sun, Kurt Kiefner said that, quote, the African vocal rift from Send Me On My Way is bad Lady Smith Black Mombaso. <laughs> so there we are. <laughs> I do like that we took a big enough detour to just insult Rusted Root. <laughs> it was really important. I've listened to that song an, uh, an embarrassing number of times in the last couple of years. I think just because... Uh, the world, like the world, is in shambles. So let me yeah. let me reflect on how bad this song is that I absolutely love. So, did you ever find out what the bad cover was? Oh, I'm gonna look that up later. I oh, can't. Okay. I, I would involve a lot of googling. Oh my goodness! Uh, <laughs> is it you can't always get what you want? Yes. <laughs> I looked it up. There's a website called Secondhand Songs that's just a an, a, a guide to covers, and Rusted Root has two. Uh, evil ways and you can't always get what you want it might have been even worse though like i I know it was a live clip so i would actually have to seek out the live clip and i can't do that oh no i'm looking at it right now (laughs) it's a live clip that's genuinely what you're thinking of (laughs) i just remember opening it and hearing two lines and closing it immediately like i will watch cringy that somebody sends me but it's that was a bridge too far. <laughs> All right. So the 1995 <laughs> soundtrack to the Babysitter's Club. Christy, oh do you have a ranking of how you would rank these 10 songs? Uh, are we like doing one to 10? Are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> okay. What, what are your winners? What are your losers? Okay. Um. I mean, my winners, I would say, are almost everyone. I do not care for... The Caulfields, Hannah, I locked you out. Mm-hmm. I do not care for Matthew Sweet's Everything Changes. I'm not so fond of Daddy's Girl or Girl Girlfriend, obviously. But everything else is at least like a, this is pretty good from me. Ranging from like, this is pretty good being like clouds and summertime, like summertime, that sort of thing. Uh, then going on up to Let Me Know by Escape, and then the Sun 60 song, and then the Ben Lee and Letters to Cleo. Like, yeah. pretty good. Pretty good. How about you? What I would you say that if I had this on cassette, not the <laughs> actual cassette, but if the whole thing was on cassette, and the first five songs are on the front, the second five songs are on the back, that the first side, even including the Caulfields, mm-hmm. would be a pretty great first side. Yes. I would listen to that side a lot. That the second side, beginning with Matthew Sweet, would put me off listening to the second side. That's the disappointment here because you've got the two like two really great songs immediately after the Matthew Sweet. But an album ending on Sun Sixties Hold On, I'd mm. feel good about that. Yeah. I'd feel really good about that. But I think I have to agree. I would say "Summertime" is way up there with my favorite song on the album. Uh, the I, I don't want to. I don't want "Escapes" song. Let me know to be forgotten. It is. It's not as the most memorable song, but it is a great sounding song. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. I think. I mean, it. Def, it is uh, emblematic of a certain kind of music that was around at that time and lasted a long time for a reason. Yeah, and uh, I love it. 
I really like Ben Lee. I love Letters to Cleo. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know how much I would listen to Daddy's Girl. I would never listen to Girl Girlfriend again (laughs) unless I accidentally had a... I will... Okay, that's a lie. I will say that sometimes I will just let it play because it is hilariously bad. And that stupid refrain gets stuck in my head. Oh, Girlfriend. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I get the hate and on a hate stuck in my head. So there you go. Uh, I think a, a mercy of this album is that they did not include either the little let's get busy hook that they play whenever Koki and her friends walk on. Yeah. Also, they did not uh, include the greatest sin this film commits, which is the biology rap. <laughs> The fact that they didn't include the biology rap is a blessing and a curse. Because, <laughs> but you want to hear it again? <laughs> because it's part of the movie. Look, I get that. I hear that. But do you really ever want to even think about it again? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to think about that. But are we done with the, discussing the album? I think we are, and I think uh, I think we learned a lot today. I think I definitely <laughs> did. Um, yeah. Learned Patty a lot about moon about pools music. and caterpillars. Yeah, yeah. clouds, sun sixty. <laughs> Some good, good stuff. Anyway, yeah, covered yeah. a lot of ground here. I did want to say to the listeners, uh, anyone interested in hearing this album, uh, yes. it has been uploaded in full to YouTube. If you mm-hmm. just search uh, Babysitter's Club movie soundtrack, it's there. Uh, yeah. I also created a playlist with all the songs but one. Uh, uh, Girl, Girlfriend is not on <laughs> Spotify, but everything else is. Tragic. So uh, so if you just search Babysitter's Club 1995 movie uh, on Spotify, it'll come up as a playlist. Um, but also, Christy, there is another Babysitter's Club album we're going to have to get to in the future. Oh, no. Oh, yes. <laughs> uh, there is an, a full album called Songs for My Best Friends that we <gasps> neglected to cover once upon a time. Uh, yeah, that is an HBO series thing, right? It is. It is the HBO series album, an album so obscure that it's not even on discogs (laughs) i gotta say i wouldn't say no to covering the netflix soundtrack either Ooh, yeah especially because it's so good (laughs) yeah so sometime in the future we will definitely be covering songs for my best friends um you say that now we'll see you oh we're covering it (laughs) fine fine what else do I have to do? I get to wear my hat again. I'm never not wearing this hat again. <laughs> of course you're wearing the hat because you are the boss. I'm the boss. Therefore, I'm going to keep wearing this hat. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we'll be back with more Babysitter's Club goodness. You can find us on Twitter at Pizza Toast Pod. You can, yeah, you can also email us if you would like at pizzatoastpod at gmail.com. Might as well give us an Apple Podcast review. Gotta keep canceling out that one star that I'll never stop being curious about. Yeah, I know. It's very, <laughs> very weird. Uh, we have a four and a half otherwise, guys. Yeah, come on. Help us out. <laughs> Please. Please let us, know, let us know you're listening. Yeah, and uh, for now, uh, we can. Oh wait, we say have to. to we yeah. have two reviews. Yeah, I know they're um, both really positive, and nice. they're both very positive. But we need more now. Give us because more. we're greedy for that goodness. Just tell us 
how good we are at bantering and whether or not it's okay that we just talked about the soundtrack for the movie for an hour and a half. <laughs> Maybe it'll cut it out. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> it'll be trimmed down. Trust me. Just a, just a tad. There are only a couple tangents in there. <laughs> Alrighty. Okay. Is it time to say goodbye to our friends? Let's say goodbye to our friends. Goodbye. Goodbye. My best friend is my friend, it's no wonder She's even better than ice cream in summer And then we're together, all we ever do is smile And when we're apart, I'm always sad for a while She's always there for me, I never have to worry And when I'm sad, she makes me better in a hurry We sing our favorite songs, together we have fun We have more flavor than a pack of bubble gum But I'm never hurt too, and I never act fake Listen to her thoughts